So the first thing I have to show you today is I hope we are going to be able to see it. I don't know. Uh, but this is baby Fairfield. Do we have it? Can you see it? No? Yeah, that's... He's not that blurry in person. He's actually like 3D in person. It's amazing. It's amazing. But uh, so, so they had that, and, and he, he is home, and yay, that's good. Okay, so a couple things about planting roots. Uh, first off, uh, if you call Element your home and you're here today, uh, when you leave outside, there's going to be this tent, and it's going to have this painting in it, and it's like a tree with a whole bunch of branches. Your job is to go by, and you're going to stick your thumb on some ink, and you're going to put the leaves on it by your thumbs. Oh, Yay! It's all artsy and cool. So then we're going to hang that up. We're going to have it like forever and never get rid of that. You know, it'll be like 50 years from now. What's that? We don't know, but we can't get rid of it. You know, but <laughs> it's how things work in churches. Someone donated an organ like 50 years ago and you can never get rid of the organ. Oh, we don't have one of those. Okay, so, um, so go put your thumb on it. It'll be really cool. Uh, also... Uh, after we're done, stay, hang out, uh, if you can handle the heat. There's going to be food outside and, and drinks and a place for your kids to play and, and all kinds of stuff. So just hang out after we're done. Don't, don't run off. Uh, then eat, stop, talk. Okay, I think I got it all. Is that all I got to start? What am I pointing at? The tent. Oh, yeah, don't forget to pick up your kids. That's on my list. Apparently, you have a problem with that. I came with kids? What? No, I didn't come with kids. No, uh, before you go and hang out and get food and, and play around and hang out, grab your kids first so that all the workers and stuff can actually come out and hang out as well and have a big party. All right, so we're, are we, sh- we are shooting video, aren't we? Hi. All right, so uh, welcome to Element. My name is Aaron. I am one of the pastors here. Welcome to the tent. If you, yeah, if you don't have a Bible, you, there, there's some on all the communion tables around the room. If you don't have sermon notes, that's okay. Grab one of the journey guides because they will be in there as well. We are coming to the end of our Planting Roots journey today. And so what we would like you guys to do is fully engage in what we've been a part of. If you are brand new today, you have no idea what we're talking about, grab a journey guide and walk through the daily devotions over the next five weeks. You'll get a pretty good idea of who we are and where we're going and what we believe and, and what we believe God is doing in us. So why don't you guys stand with me reading God's Word. This is Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, and it says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would teach us as a people to be those who trust you with all that we are, not just with our leftovers, not just with our little play money on the side, but all of our lives. And so you come in. And you reprioritize everything because you are the God who has sought us. You are the God who has given your life for us. And I ask in that understanding that we would then surrender to you. And that everything that we have is surrendered in the light of your grace and goodness. Amen. Have a seat. It's kind of funny how I write messages. Uh, Usually when I write messages, I'm really far ahead. And, And Sermon on the Mount is no exception. When, when we came through and we were writing the Sermon on the Mount, I, I probably finished December of last year with all the messages for the Sermon on the Mount. 
And the planting roots wasn't even a gleam in our eye at that moment. And what happened in the midst of it is it came around and all the message kind of messages fit right into exactly where we, where we were. It's a God thing. Uh, he does that stuff all the time. Sometimes you guys walk up to me after a Sunday morning and you'll say, oh, you know what's going on in my life. You wrote that about me. And I'm like, dude, I wrote that like six months ago. It was not about you. But I'll take it. Yay. Apparently, I just Facebook you all day long and follow your life. But whatever. Yeah. And, and it's crazy how God kind of works this whole thing out to talk about these messages that went right in the middle of planting roots. Uh, and I kind of, when I first did it, I wrote two messages on treasure, then three. And I heard somebody kind of talking about the ideas we're going to talk about today. And I incorporated that into my message because I thought it was just so good. So we went to four weeks. And today we're going to talk about stuff and how stuff seems to want to consume us and how we need to live in generosity. So this is our last week. Hopefully you're coming together with all that God's been talking to us about. Now, we have a problem in America, and that is a lot of us have too much stuff. Uh, if you have too much stuff in your house, we call this clutter. Clutter. That, that, that's, the, that's the Christian word for it. Uh, anybody here have too much stuff and not know where to put it? Great. We're going to help you with that this morning. <laughs> now, in, in, about, in the 1950s, the average size of a house was about 983 square feet. 983 square feet. Yeah, I know. Imagine that. And that would house, on average, 3.37 people. By the year 2011, the average house was 2,480 square feet. On average, it houses 2.7 people. That means, on average, you and I have about three times the amount of place to put our stuff than we did all the way back in the 1950s. Crazy, right? And what? You still have clutter. You still have too much stuff. You don't know where to put it all. So what did we do? We started sticking it in our garages where God intended, right? We'll just build a garage. We'll, we'll stick it out there. And pretty soon, you know what happens? Your garage gets too full. You can't put all of your stuff in the garage. You know, and then so what you end up doing is you end up parking your car that's worth more than all of your other stuff outside and you keep your stuff in the garage. I know some of you are very proud. You're like, I can still get my car in the garage. Right, but it's a two-car garage and you get one in. Too much stuff, right? Can you get both your cars in the garage? Okay, whatever, whatever. <laughs> One study found 75% of homes in America couldn't fit their car in the garage because the garage had too much other stuff in it. So, some very creative person came up with this idea. They said, I know what we'll do. Let's see if we can get people to rent extra space. It'll be amazing. They'll come and they have all their stuff that's not important enough for them to actually leave in their house and in their garage, but they don't want to get rid of it. So we'll rent them space. They can keep their stuff. And then when they come and look at their stuff, they can pet it and love it and hold on it because it's not important to keep it in their house, but it's too important to actually give away. So we'll rent the space. I mean, it sounds stupid, right? But the joke's on us. Because we did it. And all of a sudden, the self-storage industry comes into being. And then turn to the person next to you and just tell them, how many square feet in the United States do you think is devoted to the self-storage industry? Just turn to the person next to you and tell them. That's a lot of telling. It's like, oh, no. Okay, here you go. Here you go. The answer is... The answer is, the answer is 2.35 billion square feet. Let me, let me put this in perspective. That is three times the size of Manhattan Island. Three times the size of Manhattan Island. Just to put stuff we don't have place for in our homes. 
For the last 35 years, the fastest growing sector of commercial real estate is not restaurants or hotels. It's the self-storage industry because we don't have enough space for our stuff. It led to what's called the Self-Storage Association. This is a massive association. It has 6,000 members as part of it. They do a fall conference every year. They do a spring conference every year. I have no idea what they talk about. Sell people space. You know, more stuff is good. I mean, I don't know what they talk about. They even do a winter executive ski workshop, and I'm sure all the executives have to go get their skis out of their storage units to go to the ski workshop. That's, this is all that, that it is. Now, what's really interesting is sometimes people don't pay for their extra space, and then what happens is the people who own the space itself get to auction that stuff off. It's become a huge industry. There's, there's like hit TV shows based on it called like Storage Wars. Storage Wars is where, hey, you didn't pay for to rent the place to put your stuff, so we're going to take your stuff, and we're going to auction it off, and someone else is going to get all of your stuff. Then they'll have to find a place to actually rent to put all that stuff that they just bought. Win-win, right? They're just, they're just happy with everything that takes place. Now, also in this, Storage Wars has spawned other TV shows, like Storage Wars Texas and Auction Hunters. Again, all about people who can't afford to pay the space to store their extra stuff, and so they lose it. And as we've been going through planting roots, I mean, maybe you're thinking, I don't know what I can do to be part of this. I, I have no idea. Well, if you've got a storage unit, sell everything in it because you don't need it. That's why I tell my wife, I'm like, I'm like, if we don't use it in like a year, it goes to the garage. After that, another year, goes to the dump or we sell it at a garage sale. And she's like, no, I need this thing that I have no idea what it is. You know, I want that. I want to keep that. So if you have a storage unit, sell what's in it. And then you know what you could do? Take the money you're paying for a storage unit every single month and give that to Planting Roots. Over the course of three years, you will give upwards of $2,000 just from doing that. Crazy, crazy stuff. So last week of Planting Roots, I need to get all my stuff in that I can, right? Uh, Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. The accumulation of stuff has been the way of life for people in America. You know, I get stuff, and i got to find a place to keep my stuff. i got to organize it. i got to replace it. If something breaks it, someone borrows it, I'm going to worry about it. You know, we got all these things. Our identity, our security, all kind of gets tied up in our stuff. In Acts chapter 4, what you see is how the early church started to revolve around this idea of generosity. And this is what we want to talk about, because as we come to the end of planting roots, we don't just want you guys to to think about building a building, although that is part of it. But we want you to live in freedom, that your stuff doesn't have its clutches in you, that that you can't step away from it because you always got to hoard and hold on to. So what we want to do is help you get to the place of freedom in what we are talking about today. In in Acts chapter 4, you see how the early church came together. So again, today we're going to talk about stuff being consumed and generosity, because we are all consumed by something. We even call ourselves consumers today. It's how we define ourselves. But there's an odd dynamic where we end up being consumed by the stuff that we think we are consuming. In Luke chapter 12, is the story of a guy. He comes to Jesus in Luke 12, 13. And he says, Rabbi, tell my brother to split the inheritance with me. Because apparently the parents had died. The older brother was getting some extra stuff. The younger brother wanted some stuff. Have you ever noticed how inheritance and stuff gets divided out over people and people get kind of bitter about that? They want it to just be a little bit different. So just what Jesus said in Luke 12, 15, he says, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. A person's life does not consist in how much stuff they have. And this goes into what we talked about a couple weeks ago, where Jesus talks about this, this guy who has a huge harvest. 
and he has so much stuff in his harvest, he's like, you know what? I don't have enough space for all my harvest. So I'm going to tear down my old self-storage units, and I'm going to build some bigger self-storage units. And then I will say to myself, self, take it easy. Eat, drink, be merry, because you have made it. You've got a place to store all of your stuff. And in Luke 12, 20, God says, you fool. Those are harsh words. This night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? God says, you think your problem is a place to put your stuff? So much bigger than that. In verse 21, Jesus says, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Jesus constantly comes back to you. There is only two possible ways you can go with your stuff. Matthew 6, 19, in the Sermon on the Mount, you have treasure here. That is stuff accumulation, or you have treasure in heaven, and that's being rich towards God. I think the early church, they're a lot like us. Uh, but I think they actually be- begin to get this and understand what this means, this idea of being generous towards God. So this is what it says, describing the early church, Acts four thirty-two to 37. This is what it says. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. Now this is not communism. It's not forced upon them. This is a choice that they decided to do as part of being generous. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many were owners of lands or houses, sold them, and brought the proceeds of what was sold, and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus, Joseph, who was called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And this is what we're going to look at today. Not the field, because we're in one, right? But, but how I'm not being consumed with stuff and what sacrifice really looks like. Because th- this is kind of one of the things that I had to deal with personally. You know, as I, as I think about planting roots, what I'm going to do. Because what is easy to do? What can I very easily say, oh, yeah, I could do this over the course of three years. I think this is going to happen. That's what I could do. But then I think, but what's actual sacrifice? What, what am I going to give up? What am I actually going to say, God, I believe this is really important, so I start to sacrifice in that. Now, there's a book out right now. It's called The Power of Habit. It's by a guy named Charles Duhigg. And the author, he talks about that we are essentially a collection of habits. Even a lot of our spiritual formation is a form, habit formation. And he talks about what's called a keystone habit. A keystone habit. And a keystone habit is one where if you change it, it sets off a chain reaction the rest of your life and different things begin to change. It makes new patterns of thinking and desiring and behaving because all of our habits are essentially connected. As an example, they took physical health. And if you were to go and you took a food journal and you just started to write in the food journal, they found in this study that people who did that started to eat better. They started to exercise more. They started to realize McDonald's is not... You know, breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day. That's not what I should be doing. And all of a sudden, people's health started to change just by changing the habit of keeping a food journal. They found that if people go out and they start keeping receipts and living on a budget, all of a sudden they realize that people start actually saving more money because they realize they're spending a lot of money just on garbage, just by changing that habit. And what I think is going on in the early church, that I think they're developing this habit of generosity. And I don't think when Acts summarizes this early church that it wants, it's coincidental that they are preoccupied with helping one another, with seeing where the church is going to go. I think it's a keystone habit that they started to live within. I think it's also describing a way that God transforms his people. When you and I start to become more and more generous, it teaches how to not live trying to be sufficient on our own. We get rid of self-sufficiency. We learn how to depend on God. We overcome selfishness. It got them in the early church to start noticing other people around them and noticing the needs and enhance their ability to love. 
And it was the generosity in that early church that staggered the world around them. Open to Acts chapter 2. Stay in Acts 4 with one finger and then flip to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. This is also a summary of the early church. Acts 2, 44 to 46. And it says, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, that's church, and breaking bread in their homes, that is gospel communities, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. It's a community centered around generosity where they're no longer being consumed by their stuff. And the ancient world had never seen anything like this. And as a result, they were enjoying the favor of all the people because people started hearing about this. And what you have to notice is it doesn't say they enjoyed the favor of all of these people because of what they believed. What they, what they believed led to what they did. But at that point, nobody really knew what they believed. They weren't primarily known for that yet, but it did it happened. Their beliefs were really important. But people looked at them and said, you know, I don't know what they believe. They may be even really weird and strange, but I am so glad they are in my city. I am so glad that they are here because look what they are doing. And then that life drew people into fellowship and they learned about Jesus and they understood why they lived the way that they did. And people started surrendering their lives to Christ and it was amazing. They enjoyed the favor of all the people because they lived what they said they believed. I think this is why Jesus talks so much about money. In the Gospel of Luke, about one out of every seven verses is told in an economic context. Why? Generosity. I think it's why Jesus says, with the verse we started with this morning, Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money, because money craves to be served. We have the temptation to love it, to hoard it, to want to keep it, to be selfish with it, to evaluate how important other people are by how much they have and and how much they can give us and how much they can help us. We want to base our identity and our worth on how much money we have. We base our security in how much money we have. We become satisfied and our souls become satisfied by how much of it we have. John Ortberg wrote, he said, I think money is the great rival of God for the human heart. The great rival of God for the human heart. I think that is so true. You got a rich young ruler. The rich young ruler, he goes to Jesus, and, and he looks at Jesus, and Jesus looks at him, and this guy, you know, he gives. He follows the commandments. He does all of these things. He would be a deacon or elder in most of our churches today, this rich young ruler. And so Jesus looks at him and says, you know, there's one thing that you lack. Go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Then come follow me. And the rich young ruler can't do it because getting more and more and more was the habit that had captured his heart. It wasn't about money. It was about what the guy was devoted to. Because you go a little bit later and you've got a guy named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. He had lots and lots of resources, but he was corrupt. A lot of tax collectors in that day were like that. Not in our day. We all love tax collectors in our day. But this guy meets Jesus, and he says, I'm going to take all the people I have cheated, and that is a lot of people. And he said, I'm going to pay them back four times what I cheated them. And then with everything I have left, I'm going to take half of that, and I'm going to give it to the poor. He didn't give everything away. He could actually still live and eat and and get along. But generosity changed his life, this habit. Jesus comes in, makes a difference in his life, and Zacchaeus changes the entire way that he lives because he understands his life in light of Christ. You've got to understand, you know, grace sometimes is a handout to somebody. Sometimes grace is actually saying no, saying no. And Zacchaeus is a guy who I think moved to a place where he began to understand that. 
Now, that was 2,000 years ago. The big question for you and me is between then and now, do you think the lure of materialism and of consumerism and acquisition has gotten weaker or stronger in our day? I'd say it's probably about the same. I don't think it actually gets stronger or weaker. I think it's always about the same. I think every culture finds a way to focus on it. But I will tell you, as a pastor, I don't worry about a lot of you wandering away from the faith to go to another religion. I don't think a lot of you guys are going to slide away because of a whole lot of false doctrine. Some of you might, don't. But, you know, it it could happen. But you know what? The one thing that kind of I worry about in my heart more and more is that we just get very comfortable. We like our security. We like the way things are. We don't want God to come in and shake things up. We just we want to be like, I just want it to be the way I want it to be, God. Don't mess with my life. Just leave me alone. And that's what happens to a lot of believers. Just kind of slide away. Because we want to just be more comfortable than actually following Jesus. And this is, again, why I think Jesus talks so much about stuff. And it's why we are talking about planting roots. Because, again, we want you guys to know who Jesus is. To live for Him and to live in freedom. I mean, living in the place we do, the United States of America, the kind of lifestyles we live, this again is the number one rival for God in our hearts. But what if generosity became our habit? What if it became the habit of our church? What if it just became how we simply live? Because it is the best way to live. I'll give you four things. They're in your journey guides, page 55, if you want to follow along. Four things we'll put, bring this together with. And this is all centered around generosity. Number one, generosity is how we learn the best things in life aren't stuff. That the best stuff in life is not stuff. And at one level, everybody says, oh yeah, that's true, I totally believe that. But do we really believe that? I don't know if we really believe it. We say it a lot, but I don't think we actually believe it because we have game shows. None of our game shows are called, you know, who wants to have great character, who wants to develop deep friendships. They're called, who wants to be a millionaire? And we're like, oh, how do I get on that show? I don't want to be in the deep character show. I want the millionaire show. That's, that's what I want to be on. And we all think about this. In ancient Israel, there are some very strict religious sects that were out there. One is called the Qumran community. Have you ever heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls? This is where they were kept. The part of that community, what you had to do is you take a vow of poverty. Uh, you take a vow of getting rid of any pleasure. So if you were married, you couldn't have sex. You got rid of all of your stuff. And everything was then kept in a common purse. And when I talk about generosity in the early church, that is not what I'm talking about. That is not what I'm talking about at all. You know, they're a lot like us. People still had their own stuff. But instead of clutching and hoarding and being greedy, they actually looked around and said, you know what, I'm going to see my stuff as God's stuff. And I'm going to stop holding on so tight. And I'm going to begin to start letting go and trusting Him. Because if it's God's, how can I not share it? I mean, throughout this whole journey, hopefully you've started to get up in the morning and start thinking, man, how can I share today? What can I do to be more generous? You know, and when you start talking like that, it's very humbling. It's very humbling for me. When I was working on this message, no joke, someone came to me, they asked to borrow a book for me. This is a book that other people have borrowed. It is now my third copy of this book because I have to keep replacing this book. And so they, hey, can I borrow it? And my first thought is, well, I'm going to lose it again. I can't let this, uh, what if I need this book? I'm going to hang on to my book because it's my book and I want my book when I want my book. I need my book. And if you know me, I love books. I mean, oh, I love the smell of books. and just, oh, oh, I love books. Funny thing is, I got home and I'm going through some of the clutter on one of our shelves and I found one of the two books that I thought that someone never returned to me. And it's a book on good doctrine like sharing. So there you go. I mean, in in very practical ways, even aside of planting roots, you know, what what do you need to share? 
You know, maybe you have a car that someone could borrow and use that actually needs one. Here, there's a crazy thing. Uh, Jim Evans has this really nice BMW, okay? And one time he comes up and he goes, hey, you want to borrow and take your wife out on a date in, in my cool car? And I'm like, oh, no. Because I don't think he knew what he was asking. Maybe he went to the hospital and was on some loopy drugs and he offered it. I don't know, right? But he was offering to let me borrow his really cool car. Crazy. Don't do that. Now, if you have an Audi R8, sure, let me, anytime. But, you know, I'll bring it back, hopefully in one piece. We, we don't know. But see, the attitude of that was he's just feels simply blessed to have the car. That's how he lives. It's a simple way of generosity. And so maybe you do let somebody borrow a book. Maybe you let, maybe there's a young couple and they just got married, don't have a lot of money, and maybe they're living at home. And maybe you go out of town for a week on, on vacation. Invite them and let them stay at your house for a week. It's a really nice thing to do. Share your space. Maybe you just let somebody go in front of you at li- in line at the, at the grocery store. How about this? Gentlemen, share the remote control. It always gets a couple of chuckles and laughs and everybody's all, I don't know. I don't know. My wife never fast forwards the commercials just right. It didn't land on football. I don't know what's up with that, you know. Now, I've heard people in other churches, I mean, not Element, of course, because you guys, like, are close to Jesus. But, uh, you know, they, they, they always want to, like, save their place in church. It's like, hey, you know, that, that's my seat. And they get snippy if someone gets there and sits in their seat. People say things like, I saved that seat. That's my seat. That's where I want to sit and hear about the grace and the love of Jesus. You know, Jesus who died for my sins and is calling me to die to myself in that seat. Right there. I don't want to share that seat with you. Anybody pulling in have our time parking? Like, hey, they pulled my parking spot. Share it with them. In the early church, they came to have this ideal that nothing was their own. And they said, we're going to trust God because it is God's. And so he said, we're going to trust him. And trusting God wasn't an empty phrase because they knew the power of trusting. It started to become this habit in their lives. And when no one claimed what they have is mine, 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 you start finding out what is really important in your life, what you actually really trust in. And ironically, this is kind of how God works a lot. Because you think that when God builds a community where people see nothing as their own, they see it all as his, it'd be a very unsafe place to be. But it turns out God's community is the safest place in the world to be. And they knew this. Open to Acts chapter 4 again. Go back to Acts chapter 4. Number 2. Generosity creates humility before God. Creates humility before God. There is this phrase that gets repeated in the book of Acts. So Acts 4.34 says, There was not a needy person among them, and that isn't the phrase. For as many as were owners of land or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. Verse 36, Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, verse 37, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, if you are a man and you are married in this room, on the day that you went before the woman and you asked her to marry you, where did you kneel down? Maybe this is why we don't have like really great marriages, right? Like what? Uh, what? I don't know what that question even means. At her feet. Did you not? He's like, no, we we're sitting across the table and I said, hey. You kneel down at her feet. Why do you kneel down at her feet? Because you love her. You have reverence for her. You're entrusting your life to her 
in that. This is a technical term in the New Testament that meant a whole lot of things, but it meant all of that. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to have reverence for you. I'm going to love you. A disciple was said to study at the feet of their rabbi, their master. In Acts 22, verse 3, Paul says, I learned at the feet of Rabbi Gamaliel. I mean, most of the people in the early church were poor. A lot of them were slaves, but they still never saw all their stuff as their own. And they would come and they placed it at the apostles' feet. And this is unheard of. Because in the ancient world, rich people, they would go out and they would donate money for a park or a statue, but their name was always on it. Sometimes if famine was, was really severe, they might give some money to the famine, but they were always in control of where it went, how much went, and they also always had to say, well, this is done in the name of so and so. They determined where it went. Why? Because money gets a hold of us even when we think we're giving it away. Money can be an idol even when you don't spend it on lots of possessions. It has a way to make us think, I earned this. I got this coming my way because I'm smarter. I'm more persistent. I'm, I'm greater than everybody else. I'm more energetic. And we never stop to ask, where do those gifts of intelligence and energy and whatever come from? Where do those things come from? We talked about this last week. They come from the hand of God. And in this community, those few who actually had stuff, they gave up that stuff and they also said, I'm going to trust you for what you're going to do with it. And this is one of the things in Planting Roots that we give to you. I mean, what what we're asking you to do is give a lot of money, but trust your leadership and what we're going to do with it. Because we've been looking for a place for Elman to be for a very, very long time. And we need to come in a place where we trust where God is actually leading us. And we trust Him to actually do those things. They, in the early church, didn't just give up money. They gave up control, and they laid it at the apostles' feet. Number three, uh, generosity strikes at our keystone sin. Generosity strikes at our keystone sin. Anybody ever watch late-night TV? You're up so late, and all of a sudden, it all goes off into just infomercials? Shamwow! Right? I think the first infomercial in human history is in Genesis 3 in the Garden of Eden at the forbidden fruit of that tree when the serpent comes to Eve and he is like, Hey Eve, you know what? Are you bored? Are you unfulfilled? Do you go to sleep at night and wake up in the morning? You know, Do you have desires you'd like to gratify? I will tell you what you need. It is right here. The tree of knowledge of good and evil. God doesn't want you to have it, but it's all you need. Then the first sin follows. There's a book out called The Economics of Good and Evil, and it notes that the first sin in the Bible is a sin of consumption. It comes out of pride, but it is consuming something that all of a sudden now we all think that we are consumers, but we're supposed to be so much more than that. I mean, that first sin is kind of like an economic sin. In this book, it says the man and the woman wanted to treat as their possession that which did not belong to them. The man and the woman wanted to treat as their possession that which did not belong to them. And this is kind of something we all begin to do. We live in that same kind of style. See, what happens when the early church comes in and the Holy Spirit gets a hold of people, this habit of getting got replaced with the habit of giving. Because I think they're both contagious. Acquisition, hoarding, having to have more, never being satisfied, that's contagious. But giving and releasing, that's contagious as well. People join this community where generosity was contagious. And they're like, what do I have to do? I'm out of here. I'm not staying here. In Acts chapter 4, there's this guy that you meet. His name is Joseph. You're told he's a Levite from a place called Cyprus. Cyprus. Now, people from the tribe of Levi, we talked about this last week. You know, they were supposed to be the priestly tribe. And when Israel went into the promised land, they didn't get any land. They were just going to be the priests. And everybody else brought offerings and gifts to take care of those priests. And so you're told Joseph is a Levite. 
He's part of that tribe. But he owns a field. And we don't know why. Maybe by that time they stopped following those customs or maybe money had gotten a hold of his heart and his stuff. And he was hanging on to these things. But when Jesus came into his life and when Jesus changed him, all of a sudden he becomes generous. He becomes part of that community. He goes and he sells the property, comes back with his money, lays it at the apostles' feet, use it however it's going to help. And they changed his name. They changed his name to Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Son of encouragement. If someone were to give you a nickname based on your financial behavior, what would it be? What would it be? Would it be like grumpy? Uh, stingy? Would it be like squirrel? Joyful, generous, what would it be? And then ask yourself this other question. What would you want it to be? What would you want it to be? Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, verse 2. This is what Jesus says, even about giving and generosity. He says, Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received the reward the reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, as your father who sees in secret will reward you. Number four. Number four. Generosity is God's habit. Generosity is simply who God is and what he does. From the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, you know what creation is? It is God's gift to us. Creation does not have to be anywhere near this good, I know, or this hot, right? We got it. We got it, right? You ever notice, though, how blue the sky can be sometimes? You, you ever think of, of how good food actually is? God could have just grown Nutra nuggets on trees like dog food and be like, that's your food, eat it. Like, this stinks. But he didn't do that. He didn't. He made food taste good. He made the world around us beautiful. He gave us mountains and trees and oceans and sunrises and sunsets. And not only do you and I get to live in the, on this earth, but you and I get to live in California. That's like God's favorite place on the earth, California. I mean, I know the, the enemy's trying to destroy it through, you know, taxes and politics, but it's still beautiful. It's still beautiful. We just take it for granted. It's an expression of the generosity, and God is generous. And because God is generous, we are to be a generous people as well. In the Bible, over and over and over, you see these little phrases that speak the generous heart of God. Isaiah 55, verse 1. Come, all you who are thirsty, you who have no money, come and buy wine and milk without money and without cost. That is referring to life in God because it's a great gift. At the very end of the scriptures, Revelation 22, verse 17. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Romans 3, 23 and 24, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The most famous verse in the Bible, it's the football verse because you see it on the side of the field all the time. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that He gave, that He gave His one and only Son. That's what love does. Love gives. I think it's the best thing in the world. And even going through planting roots and doing all we're trying to do to help refocus you guys, we are never going to change a heart from a clutching heart to a giving heart. Only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can do that. But he has been doing it since the fall, and he's still doing it today, and I think he can do it for you. Hopefully you understand by this point that this planting roots journey is that God gets all of us. All of us. Not little snippets and pieces 
all of us. And again, it's not about a building. It's about Jesus. But the four things that we wanted Planning Roots to do from the beginning is, number one, we wanted to glorify God through it. We wanted to make sure He was lifted up. Secondly, we wanted all of you guys to grow closer to Jesus Christ. That's why you had daily devotionals. Hopefully you were going through those and talking to the other people in your family about those, your friends about those. As you walked through those things, you grew closer to Him. The third thing, we wanted all of you guys to be on the same page for what Planting Roots was and where we're going and the need for us to have a permanent home. And hopefully through the next three years, all of you who are here, when someone new comes in and goes, what's going on? You can all answer that question. And fourthly, and it's in this order, and fourthly is that we need funds to actually buy this permanent home to build this place. We have looked for the last five and a half years for a place to move to. And all these doors kept closing. And then all of a sudden the door of this field that you're in today opens wide up. And we step into this. And we think God is now calling us to the next part of that. And we've got a little bit over two years to get city permits and all that stuff done and then be able to start building and get this sucker done. And so that's, you know, the fourth reason why we're doing Planting Roots because we need all of you to do this with us. So i got two action steps, page 57 in your journey guide for this week. Number one is this. We, I want you to talk to somebody about how your view of money and stuff has been changed in the last five weeks. Uh, and if you're like, hasn't at all, then what I want you to do is talk to somebody you love and know about how the last five weeks have been a total waste of your time. Okay? One or the other. But talk about it and then walk through that. And second thing I want you guys to do is pray about what God is asking you to do, if anything, towards planting roots. Because this is the idea that over the next three years, we have got to get to the place where we can have a permanent home. Wouldn't it be nice to be able to meet in a building like this and have air conditioning? And without this gigantic flying thing <laughs> going over the place, it flew by me. I'm like, I swear to you, I heard it go by my head, okay? It's, it's a moth, but it's like the size of a chicken, okay? <laughs> we barbecuing it later right out there. I'll put in a bun for you. All right. So anyway, somebody's industrious, okay. Guys, Hopefully, you know, through these five weeks, you've come to the place today where you were praying about it. God, what do you want me to do? And if you haven't, you can still take a little bit of time in the next couple weeks and still bring in these commitment cards and, and what you'd like to do. But we need to kind of budget for what we're going to do and how we're going to get there. And so that's the reason why we're doing this service in this one building today. We want, or this tent today. We want all of us on the same page asking God, what do you want to do through me? My wife and I, uh, we kind of, boy, everybody in the back just looked out towards the plane. Like, whoo! Just lost them all. Um, my wife and I, if I back up a little bit, my wife and I uh, talked about this this morning. She, you know, and so she's like, okay, so what's our number? And I'm like, I want to do this. She's like, what? You know, and, but it's good. I, I, it's, I think it's a number that we're trusting God with and what he's going to do in amazing things over the next three years. Uh, and we hope that you are in that place as well uh, because our God is good, our God is great, and he loves us. Uh, today, please, 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 Come to the place where you realize our stuff is not our own. It is God's. And we trust him with all of it. Uh, there, are, there are communion tables around the room. And uh, the band's going to come up. And as they do, we invite you guys to take communion. Uh, so it's going to be like a normal service. You know, it, what, you work through what God's kind of dealing in you. And you come up and you take communion. Communion is where you remember that Christ's body was broken for us. That's why you break the cracker. You dip it in the wine of the grape juice. It reminds us of blood that was shed for you and I because he set us free. He sought us. He loved us. And in response to what he has done, 
we in turn also become a generous people. So we take communion remembering what God has done in and through and for us, and then all of us become surrendered to Him because what He has done. Um, there's going to be some deacons at like all the communion tables. They're not there like bouncers, like, hey, don't, you took too much cracker, smack. You know, what, what they're there for is if you need prayer for something. I mean, maybe you've been thinking about this planting roots thing, but you need somebody else to maybe walk through it a little bit with. They would love to talk to you about it. Uh, they'll keep whatever you're talking about confidential, but if you need, also need prayer about anything, they'd love to pray with you about that as well. Uh, maybe something's going on in your life that's nothing related to planting roots, they would still love to pray with you. So we're going to have deacons around every single one of the communion tables in the room. Um, we also uh, have offering boxes on all the tables. Uh, you can put your offering in there. Uh, it's a response, again, to what God has done. We don't pass a plate. simply a response to what he's done, so you can give in those as well. Uh, and in a, in a couple songs, Eric's going to come up and talk about how you can put your commitment cards in those as well. Uh, and then, again, when we're done, uh, the food that we have for you today is moths that are shaped like chickens. No, uh, we have... Uh, there's a bunch of hot dogs and water and food and, and chips and stuff out there. Grab something to eat, hang out, meet some other people, and, and maybe find somebody that you can start asking those questions to. You know, maybe where has your life changed in the last five weeks walking through planting roots? Um, and then on the other side of that, you know, how God's working you in the place to actually commit and to give. Because our God is good to us, and we respond to his goodness in and through our lives. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would... Take all of us, all of us, that we would understand that you are the one who has bought us and sought us. And that we are a people who are wholly lost on our own, but no longer, but no longer. And I ask an understanding the goodness and the grace of you. That we begin to live generous lives. Not only in terms of our money, but in terms of our time and our love and our grace and our hope and what we give. Not just back to you, but to people around us as well. That you would take us like the early church and you would stagger the community in which we live because of how you change us because of hearts that have been surrendered to you that we would more fully understand the gospel and the truth of you redeeming lost people so today have your spirit convict our hearts and our souls of all the things we're holding on to and teach us how to let go and open our hands in ways that maybe we have never even dreamed about. And that in that, we would find that we trust you above everything else. Thank you for saving us and calling us and giving us a hot white tent to meet in this morning. (laughs) To be a people who can worship you together, honoring your name. We ask this all in your son's gracious and good name. Amen.